So we're on session two of three, under our title Enecclesia, we've learned that Enecclesia is the term used in 1 Corinthians that describes the formal gatherings of the people in churches of God. And it's designated, in, in Ecclesia means in church. We use that expression quite a lot, don't we? And it makes those gatherings that are referred to as an ecclesia distinct, <coughs> distinct from other gatherings that would be perhaps more informal. It's really interesting if you, you really need to read, uh, we really need to read 1 Corinthians 11 to 14 as a block. Um, because it doesn't go from the remembrance to the prayers to the ministry, which are the three gatherings, kind of systematically. Uh, you have to really um, read that section as a whole. And by the end of it, you, you'll see that what Paul has been teaching, actually in some ways reprimanding the church in Corinth about, because they were somewhat disorganized and disrespectful even in the in Ecclesia gatherings. By the time we get to the, the end of those four chapters, we have a sense that the three gatherings that Paul is talking about is the remembrance leading into worship. It's the prayers of the church and it's the church gathering together with the specific purpose of listening to God's word through ministry. And we would say that those three um, and ecclesia gatherings constitute a church of God. So if a church of God stops doing any one of those three things regularly, then it, it really no longer can claim to be a church of God. They're fundamental to its constitution. We discussed the breaking of the bread last week with David, and it's my uh, job to um, help us consider an ecclesia in the context of the church prayers. So we have to ask ourselves, what do uh, an ecclesia in church prayer meetings look like? If I was to ask that question probably three or four years ago, it, you know, we'd be thinking, what a stupid question, because <laughs> it's obvious. The people in the church meet together, it's a collective activity, and they pray, and because we're basing our practice on 1 Corinthians 11 to 14, it teaches us that it's the men who um, pray audibly and they pray on behalf of the church. The women are silent, they have their heads covered and uh, the men don't have their heads covered. And we get all of that from the uh, teaching that, that Paul is giving to the Corinthians. Pre-COVID, um, we didn't really even consider an alternative. But here's the hub of, of our topic, really why we're trying to understand this more deeply as a church, is since COVID and the discovery of Zoom, we've been able to, in some way or other, gather as a church for prayer. And the real challenge is now post-COVID, um, does Zoom have a place for uh, the church to gather and pray? And we'll hear next week uh, about the ministry of God's word too. 
Or um, does it somehow fall short of what Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 11 to 14? And, and by the way, our, our understanding is not limited just to that portion of scripture. We'll, we'll make reference to other scriptures as well. Um, but um, does meeting together online somehow fall short of God's expectations of us? Put it another way, if we were to do that exclusively for prayer, and we said last week it's kind of a bit of a, a slam dunk for the remembrance because you, you can't share physical emblems um, online. So there are other reasons why we, we don't um, have the remembrance online and never have, um, which we'll come into a little later. But the remembrance is made a little more easier because of those physical emblems that require us to be physically together. But we've all experienced the effectiveness of Zoom prayer meetings and arguably even more effective than, than when we gather together because those who are housebound haven't been able to um, attend meetings physically but are able to uh, log into Zoom and enjoy the prayer time. But if we carry on with that, and, I, and as we compare that practice with what we're taught from Scripture, are we somehow shortchanging God in the process? Or somehow shortchanging ourselves because we're somehow missing out on a more fuller experience that we have when we're together? Or both? We're shortchanging God and ourselves. That's really at the, the hub of it. So let's examine um, what the New Testament has to say about corporate prayer meetings. And I said um, earlier that we really need to read um, 1 Corinthians 11 to 14 as a block. We're not going to do that, um, but we're going to take our references from other uh, scriptures that support the same truth. So we'll go to our key scripture, Acts chapter 2, 41 and 42. It says, those who accepted his message were baptised, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves, or they continued steadfastly, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to the prayers. And we have a very clear reiteration of the three formal anecclesia gatherings that need to be evident in a church of God for it to constitute a church of God. And that's the breaking of the bread, leading into worship, the prayers and the apostles' teaching, the uh, listening to God through the ministry of his word, not to overlook fellowship. And that, uh, fellowship, of course, is a subject on, it, on its own, but um, let's just consider that fellowship is, is something that's experienced whenever we meet together. So it's distinct, um, it, sorry, it's not dis a distinct gathering in this context. It's something that, uh, a togetherness that we, ap we appreciate and enjoy um, whenever we are together, including in those three Anacclesia gatherings. Now, begs the question, does one of those three gatherings or two of those three gatherings have priority over the others? I, I put it to you that they don't, that the remembrance, the prayers, and the apostles' teaching in our day, that's listening to the ministry of God's word, 
they all have equal status in terms of the function of a church of God. That might, might, might be news to us because we kind of think, well, the remembrance, it's a Godward exercise. It's, um, you know, it's surely our priority. And I kind, of, I kind of want to agree with that. But in the process, don't let's somehow relegate the other gatherings of the church to some kind of second division. They're all equally important and, um, and we need to be there. Um, what about frequency? How often do we need to meet an ecclesia to pray? Um, the remembrance is, is clear because it's a mandate. We have to meet uh, to remember the Lord every Sunday morning, the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. And we get that from a number of scriptures, but the, probably the primary one is Acts chapter 20, verse 7, where it's very clear that their routine was to meet together to break bread um, on the first day of the week. But what about the frequency of the other Anacclesia gatherings? We'll come back to that later. Let's um, have a look at one example of the practice of what I believe to be an Anacclesia prayer meeting, and we'll go to Acts chapter 12 for that. It's that very exciting and remarkable story where Peter is in prison and it's the time when James had been martyred, the first apostle to be martyred. And um, it was Peter's turn next and he was thrown into prison. And you can imagine uh, the angst that there was in the church that uh, Peter the apostle would follow the same um, situation as had happened with James the day before. And of course, Peter was in prison and was miraculously released from prison. Verse 5 of Acts 12. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And go to verse 11. Then Peter, this is after he'd been uh, miraculously released from prison. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. I think the emphasis of, in verse five, but the church was earnestly praying for Peter. In my mind, that, that's a statement about the church together praying. And Peter comes to his senses, and without hesitation, it seems, he goes to Mary's house, the mother of John Mark. It was the place where he knew they would be gathered. So that teaches me that it was the church, an in ecclesia uh, prayer meeting, in this case, very focused on the praying for the release of Peter in very dire circumstances. And it was at a meeting place that was known. And we need to be a little bit careful because we're not wanting to say that um, a building has any particular significance. But a geographical place has significance. There is not a church of God mentioned in the New Testament that is not associated with a geographical place. 
Um, so churches didn't kind of move or, or flex um, just where people wanted to show up. There was always a church of God in Corinth or in Ephesus or in Colossae or in Philippi or in Manchester. So in our case, the, the place where um, the Anacclesia gathering needs to happen is that where our testimony is and that the testimony of the Church of God, which in our case is in Manchester. So just picking up a couple of points um, from, from Acts 12, the implication is when the church was praying, they prayed at a gathering in a known geography. And that must be our um, experience too. So there's a, there's a principle that we need to try and, well, we need to follow and we need to test whether if we meet on Zoom, we're somehow compromising that principle. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, the spiritual aspect of what I'm going to describe as accessing the presence of God collectively. If we take 1 Corinthians as a kind of set of instructions, and I'm going to talk, I'm going to call it church etiquette. It's uh, probably not the best expression, but it's the physical element of how we meet, what our behaviour is when we meet, who speaks, who doesn't, what we were in terms of head covering. If we get that physical material element of what in-church gatherings should look like from, from 1 Corinthians, then I would say we get the, an enhanced view of that into the spiritual dimension when we look at Hebrews, which is where David took us last week into Hebrews 10, which talk, talks about us entering into the most holy place, which if we read Hebrews 9, we learn that that most holy place is in heaven. It's where the Lord Jesus is if you like, the throne room of God as we speak. But it makes me ask myself the question, this is somewhat confusing because um, we've got this strange blend of physical. 1 Corinthians 11 is largely physical stuff, what you were, you know, um, who, who attends and what you do. But we go to Hebrews and then it gives this spiritual dimension. And I found myself trying to define what is meant by spiritual. And to be honest, it was really hard work because I couldn't find, I Googled it and couldn't find anyone who I felt I could trust that had attempted to define it. In fact, it's almost like a given that of course we know what spiritual means. I looked up what it meant in just in, in common English and the English definition is spiritual pertaining to the soul. The part of our being that is rational, that can think, reason, feel emotion. I think that's true in the, what I'm going to call the natural realm. So every human being has a, a kind of spiritual experience in the natural realm. And it's our, it's it's our soul's response, the, the faculties that we have to think and to feel. It's, our, it's, it's that part of us that responds to the material things around us through our senses. 
So we, we see and we hear and we touch and we smell. I think I missed one out. Um, but we, we, we respond to those um, material influences around us and it causes us to think and to rationalise and um, to feel emotion. That's, that's where love comes from. You know, it's taking in what's, what's hitting our senses and um, our thought process responds to all of that. It's not just our, our physical senses though because we have our intellect which is the knowledge that we accumulate that develops and that of course also influences the way we think. But the point I'm trying to make is when we say spiritual in the context of the natural world we're not thinking of something that's disconnected from the physical. And I, I would say the same applies in, in, the, in a biblical Christian context. I've made an attempt at trying to define it, and it's very similar. So spiritual pertains to the soul, thought, reason, emotion, feelings, but extends beyond the natural into the supernatural. And that's the area of our experience where we engage re relationally with God. And this engagement of our souls with the supernatural, it's experienced by faith. It cannot be experienced without faith. And that faith is a gift from God. And we're led into the spiritual experience of the supernatural by the Holy Spirit. There's no other way that we can experience it. You know, we might, might think, and I, I'm certainly guilty of this, we have this notion that uh, if we think about the tabernacle, the Old Testament was a physical house, um, a material building. And we were in First uh, Peter 2 last week where we're described as living stones built into a spiritual house. So the Old Testament was material, the New Testament was spiritual. You kind of get the sense that maybe spiritual is the opposite to physical. And therefore, when we're trying to grapple with the spiritual elements of our service today, we need to park physical. But that's not the case, because the Holy Spirit, um, in leading us into uh, our spiritual experience of the supernatural, our relationship with God, he uses our physical senses as well. O oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hand has made, I see the stars, I hear the mighty thunder, thy power throughout the universe displays, then sings my soul, my saviour God to thee, how great thou art. So we need to get rid of this notion that somehow our spiritual experience is independent of our kind of physical facilities. Another element of it is um, it's very simply reading God's word. The Holy Spirit, by the wonder of creation around us, we get it from Romans 1, don't we, leads us into an appreciation that there is a creator. There is a designer. But he also, by his divine revelation, teaches us about God through God's word. How do we access God's word? Through our physical facilities. We read it. We, um, we understand it with our, with our minds. So my point is, as we get to this 
activity of what's described as a spiritual house, as distinct from the material um, house of God in the Old Testament, we're not separating the physical. So for me, it emphasizes the importance that when we enter into a corporate spiritual relationship into the supernatural um, with God, which is what we're doing as we serve him, then an essential part of that is being physically present too. You, you may have had the, the thought, I have certainly, that you know, we're sitting in the remembrance and Hebrews 10 teaches us that we enter into the most holy place. Hebrews 9 teaches us that's heaven. Someone comes in from the outside and thinks that's nonsense. You're physically a group sat around the table. You know, what? both are true. We're there physically, bodily together. And I put it to you, that's another reason why we can't do the remembrance online. It's not just about emblems, but it's about us corporately being physically together and um, spiritually, by faith, only by faith, we uh, find ourselves accessing the very holy presence of God. What about the prayer time? Let's go to Hebrews 4 verse 2. If Hebrews is perhaps the book that we learn most about the spiritual element of our corporate service, then we should find something about prayer meetings in there too, I think. Hebrews 4 verse 14 Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I'm going to suggest that um, that scripture is not a reference to our experience on a, a Lord's Day morning in the remembrance leading into worship. And a key word for me is receive that we may receive. The business of prayer is a, has many dimensions to it, but the most fundamental is asking for things. It's petitioning God, and we do it corporately. You know, we have our brainstorm in advance, don't we, and say, what is it we want to, as, as a church, take to God in prayer? And our expectation is we cast our burdens before him and we receive. But the scripture teaches us that that process, from a spiritual perspective, by faith, is done before the throne of grace. And I put it to you that that throne of grace is in the same place as the most holy place. It puts a, it kind of comes back to an earlier point, that is there a pecking order between the remembrance, the prayers and the ministry? I would say to you that there isn't. They're all important. And um, not just important because of their function in the church and our service to God, but because of the immense privilege that is associated with it. You might say, well, when I have my private prayer time, <laughs> am I not approaching the throne of grace? I think you are. 
for sure. You know, we're availing ourselves of um, practicing the presence of God privately. But we have to also recognize that the, there's two elements to our spiritual uh, experience and service. One is individual and the other is corporate. And what we're learning from these verses, in my view, is that as we gather together in Ecclesia for the purpose of prayer, we enter the very presence of God. Going to Hebrews 10, we were here last week as well. Uh, Hebrews 10 and 25. Let us not give up meeting together uh, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Brothers and sisters, we need to meet together to pray as well as meet together for the remembrance. David said last week, I think his expression was, our prayer gathering is the powerhouse. If we believe that, then we've got to be here. If we believe it's a privilege of God's people to be together in Ecclesia and making our petitions corporately to him in his presence before the throne of grace, we've got to be there. Very special word in Hebrews 10 and 25. It's, do not give up meeting together. The Greek word sounds something like episynagogue. <laughs> and it's very explicit. It means the physical gathering together in one place. And it's only used in one other scripture in the New Testament, and that's 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 1. I think this is compelling. 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 1 says, Concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus and our being gathered to him, we ask, etc. The same word is used um, when the writer of the Hebrew says, don't neglect being together. The same word is used to describe the gathering that we'll experience in a future day when the Lord Jesus returns. And, of course, the teaching from scripture on that topic is our bodies will rise those who are dead uh, it's about a um, physical albeit mysterious but still physical immortal bodies gathering together for me it just is a compelling um, statement that when we're meeting together the, the meetings that we must not neglect are those that involve us being bodily together I'm nearly done I said I'd come back to frequency. Uh, the remembrance is mandated uh, the first um, day of the week, every week. And we don't get that mandate on the um, Anacclesia prayer times or the ministry of God's word. But let's go to 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1. And this is Paul, um, also in his teaching to the Church of Corinth, Church of God in Corinth, talking about um, the financial side of things. You might think that's a bit odd to include in this discussion, but it says, verse 1, Now about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do, not just Corinth, Galatians, there's a unity going on here. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. I don't think it's referring to us individually, weekly putting a sum of money away. It's about pooling what we, what we provide weekly. So the collection doesn't need to happen when Paul 
the ministering brother at the time that came. It just suggests that a very natural thing that happened was the church met on the first day of the week for more than just the remembrance, not least the gathering of money as well. Why would we not presume, going back to the continuing steadfastly in the breaking of the bread and the prayers, also happened at that level of frequency? It's a supposition, so I can't, um, I can't say it's definitely there. But for me, there's a strong case that the Anaclasia, the three Anaclasia gatherings were a weekly exercise of the church. I have a punchline, really, just to, to try and conclude where, where we're up to. And more importantly, this has been a topic for overseers for quite a long time. It was the main topic in the COCG um, in April. And we really need to um, understand the instruction that the overseers have given and uh, follow it. So here's the punchline. Meeting on Zoom for prayer certainly has its place, but it's not a substitute for the mandated Anaclesia prayer meetings of a Church of God. It's kind of very clear. Um, therefore, we must resume meeting together for prayer. Um, and that, that's a, an imperative for the Church of God in Manchester. And for us, that's Tuesday evenings, soon to be eight o'clock on Tuesday evenings. Um, the overseas in Manchester, this is our own decision. We've decided in the immediate term, for a short time at least, to stop broadcasting on Zoom on Tuesdays. And it's because it gives mixed messages. You know, you kind of have the sense that, well, that broadcast is there so I can go and participate in the church gathering. Well, it's second best. So our view is let's stop doing that. And it's hard because there are many who we know can't physically make it because they're housebound or aged or remote or whatever it might be. But we feel it's the right thing to do, at least in the short term. And we just ask for, kind of apologize, but ask for cooperation that it, it, you know, for the next short while, there will be no broadcast. And if that makes um, the, the meeting a little bit inaccessible to some, then we ask for your grace and your patience with that. We recognize that there is a place for Zoom. So it's been a, a godsend, no question, but it is not a substitute for an Anaclasia meeting. So. We've agreed, haven't we, that we'll meet on the 2nd, I think it is. Rubbish of dates, as you found out, but I think it's the 2nd of, of October for a church meeting. And one of the things we'd like to discuss is, is the response of the church to this ministry, which includes, let's have a discussion about where Zoom fits in the future, because we're sure it does have a place and we're open to uh, that discussion.